1: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest on them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man?
0: Woo-wee! Yeah. <laughs> that was different. I think I pulled something.
1: Yeah. Well, did you know that it's very stupid to get excited for a Houston-Texas football game? Because all it's going to do is just upset you and and uh, leave your, your tongue purple and your heart I guess blue, some, some other mulaterish shade, you know, well, I guess some other like uh you know, darker, deeper hue.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> That's just cool. I can't have no response to that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, per- personally, I was very excited for this game. I talked myself into it and just like going back and looking at the numbers and watching the Colts, you know, play as I was, like, really, like, the only concern is if Brissett throws the ball downfield and then if the Colts defense is dramatically better with Darius Leonard and Jabal Sheard healthy, and it was a lot better, but it still isn't like there. It still isn't like Pierre Desir could cover DeAndre Hopkins or anything like that. And also, it's just like it's the Texans, and this is what they tend to do. Like the last time I got this six for a Texans game was probably the 2016 playoff game against New England, just because of how good that defense was with you know, Boye on the outside, Long Cream Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, and. Uh, and how good merciless and McKinney and and Clowney are playing together, and like they finally play great enough to beat the Patriots, and then Amari Dacqut throws two interceptions, and they have that awful kick return, and uh, and you know they end up losing by two scores or whatever. And it wasn't never; it was closer to what the final score felt like, but like you knew it was just doomed the entire time. And this game kind of immediately, kind of immediately felt similar too.
0: It did in a lot of ways. I, for me, I guess this game was a little bit different in the fact that this was the first game I really had high expectations for the offense. Yeah. I mean, for the, for the past three and a half years, I've been basically like, well, it's just going to be the old poodle offense. They're going to try hump the way up and down the field and settle for field goals. And all of a sudden, we're busting out. I mean, we scored 53 against Atlanta. We scored 31 against Kansas. And I, the the word mirage comes to mind. I don't think that's, like, strong enough. We need, like, some sort of German word for mirage to actually describe how <laughs> how I felt after that game yeah. on Sunday.
1: Yeah, and, like, the so offensively, they did score 23 points. And, you know, even, like, the last two weeks, like, this was kind of the problem that I envisioned for the Texans entering the season where they had to play these games where they had to score 27 points, they just to score 31 points. And they're typically not accustomed to doing that because you have a, a defense that's completely composed of J.J. Watt rushing the passer, and then you have a bad secondary. And now you're having to win games, you know, like, 31-24, 31-28, or in this case, it would have to be thirty-one thirty, and they're just not typically accustomed to this. And Bill O'Brien has never won games like this before. I think Deshaun Watson's record now in these games is 4-6, and six, and the defense lost more than 22 points. And I think Bill O'Brien has won one game his entire career where Watson wasn't the quarterback, when the defense lost more than 22 points. And so this was kind of like the problem that you expected was going to happen a lot this year. They just happened to put you know 47 offensive points against Atlanta, they put 31 Kansas City and held the ball throughout the game, and you know, Mahomes had a busted ankle and the whole sort of thing. Uh, so like it felt like this is what the problem that we're gonna have entering the season. And then you start, and then this game happens after the previous two weeks, and uh, you get inflated expectations. You have that optimism drip going, and you think maybe like I guess the Texans may just be a Super Bowl contender this year. And then the same old problems that we've always talked about before. Uh, kind of reared their head in this game. And this game, I think specifically the biggest reason why the Texans' offense was bad was, you know, one, the red zone offense, they only scored nine points in their first three red zone trips. The Colts went four for four, scored four touchdowns in their red zone trips. Um, but also the play calling. And specifically, I want to talk about the running game. So on first downs in this game, they ran the ball 12 times with Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. They picked up 30 yards or 2.5 yards to carry. Um, the numbers are going to be inflated whenever you look at the total yards because Watson had a 19-yard scramble, which of course came off play-action pass where they're having deep routes and everybody's running back to cover the field, entire middle field's open. And also that like crazy pitch to Kiki Cutie for that touchdown as well too was considered rush because it was behind the line of scrimmage. But again, they Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde combined for. Twelve rushes for thirty yards, which is two and a half yards of carry. And every first down rush just felt like a ret- record scratch. It's like, okay, things are moving. We're moving the ball well. Oh, now we just lost two yards and now it's second and twelve. Really? And it just happened constantly over and over again. Um the second half it was especially dreadful too. It it
0: was it was Groundhog's Day it was it was watching the 2018 offense all over again it's yeah. the same the same trash that you that you came to expect and dread during the 2018 offense the only difference was it wasn't Alfred Blue it was Carlos Hyde and and let's just talk just a moment okay so we've got we've got this we've established that the infatuation with trying to establish the run game is what really hurt us on Sunday ultimately i mean the Colts can't cover anybody and yet we kept going to Carlos Hyde Let's, let's just give a quick look at hide. Carlos Hyde's numbers at this point. He is averaging now after that big start to the season where he was 30 for 173 for almost six yards of carry. He is now all the way down to 4.2 yards of carry. He's back to normal. Look, you can talk, you can, Rivers can talk about the success rate, and it's been great. He's been getting three yards when we uh, needed two. He's done a fantastic job of this. But the problem is, is one of these has to give. You can't, your your yards per carry can't keep dropping and your success rate stay up high. There's a huge disconnect between those two things right now. Carlos Hyde is really not a good running back. He really is Alfred Blue 2.0. And it's a big reason that we're struggling so much. Now, it's not just him. I can't say that. It's just him. He's a better running back than Alfred Blue. I'm a better running back than Alfred Blue but the combination between the line and just shutting him down is what's killing us. And you go back, Bob is just infatuated. I mean, he's like the Booger McFarland of head coaches because he's just so fascinated and infatuated with establishing the run at absolutely all costs, Matt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would rather die than here. Establish the run one more time. Um, and I think you really brought up a really good point during the game throughout where you said, you know, the Texans are averaging 11.1 yards per throw. They're averaging 2.7 yards per carry. I wonder which one we should be doing. And, you know, going back to that, I like I think Hyde, Hyde's been definitely better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, this game, you know, the problem with this game, the rushing attack really wasn't like him and the running backs. It was the fact that Matt Eberfliss is a, is a smarter defensive football guy than Bill Bright is on offense. And every first down, they stack the box And they have, they bring the safety down. There's eight guys in the box. And they you have three guys blocking four. And you have a free safety running around freely to clean up tackles. The other thing, Jabal Shear came back. well oh, Jabal Shear came back two weeks ago after the bye week. He finally looks like himself. Um, he had a really good game against Robert Johnson. He had a really good game against the the big, tall, six foot ten white guy who took his place after uh, Johnson <laughs> had that stinger. I have no idea who that guy is. I hope, hopefully, I don't have to know who he is at all. Patriots uh, guy. Yeah, Patriots of course guy. He's we, a Patriots we even signed their
0: scraps. Oh my god, it's like sloppy second Patriots are the Texans. Ugh. Yeah.
1: And uh, that, and also Nick Martin was an affront to God. This game, oh he's him and Max Sharping and Zach Fulton had some awful ace blocks. Uh, Grover Stewart consistently took the line of scrimmage, picked it up, moved it a yard back every time. And then with that penetration, you can't pull very well. You can't run dart. You can't run power because Nick Martin's in the way because of it. You're not get your your second level block is happening at the line of scrimmage instead of three yards into the box because Grover Stewart's just consistently pushing the pocket. Uh, splitting double teams as well too, and Grover Stewart's not a great player. He's been the I mean the Raiders mauled him in their matchup against him. Uh, the Colts' run defense have been bad without Darius Leonard there. It's because those two guys in the interior, Danico Autry and also um, Grover Stewart, have been pretty easy to block. And then without without Leonard there, you're running around really fast. Their second level is easy to block and they've just been, you're getting really chewed up in the run game. And the Houston's rushing attack was bad this game unless they were in situations where it's second and two and you're in a nickel for, and you're going up against a nickel or it's uh, in those sort of situations where you're running in slight boxes, and so like the running, the passing game needs to set up the run. It doesn't work the opposite way. And throughout this game, whenever you saw a big run, it's because the Colts are in dime or nickel and they have a light box after a deep passing play. You know, put them in that situation too.
0: Yeah, and the other thing was is we kind of saw a regression in the failure of the 12 personnel, right? That 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 had been so effective the past couple of weeks. It was helping to really get us, you know, the ability to run. That didn't work out so well this week either, and it's because all the penetration. It doesn't matter if you've got two tight ends in the game if all the penetration is coming right up the middle and blowing up every play immediately, and that's what it seemed like was consistently happening between Sheard, between Autry, uh, and then Leonard coming in to finish it off. It was easy pickings.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And one of the things that went back to that Kansas City game, like the Falcons have a good run defense just because, like Allen Bailey's good, uh, you know, Gray Jarrett's you know spectacular. And you know, they can run fast, and make plays from there. And also like that game, the running game was great because again, they're running in slight boxes because they had four hundred fifty passing yards and they're running against, you know, dime sets and that sort of thing. Last week against the Chiefs, they blocked the second level well because it really depends on who what you think. Do you think the Bengals have the worst linebackers in football, or do you think the Kansas City Chiefs do? Because uh, the Chiefs uh, are without Anthony Hitchens, and I think they would probably have the worst linebacker group in football. And they consistently block the second level well. They use like you're talking about using 12 personnel, throw out play action, throw pick and pop passes, uh, get those linebackers way out to the sideline, and then which helps up the run game too in that game. And so you're like, is blocking the second level something Houston can actually do well or not? And now I think it's like, it was definitely a case of opponent, uh, because throughout this game, they didn't block the second level well, and you have to do that, you know, if you're going to have a successful running attack.
0: Yeah. And, and let's look at the, you know, against the Falcons, Alan Bailey in his prime was probably the best, uh, defensive end against the run in his prime. Now we're talking about five years ago or so, but he's still very good against it. And Grady Jared, of course, but then you look at the game, uh, uh, Kansas City game they didn't have Chris Jones I mean Chris Jones is a is a game record so they had yeah. he's like JJ no, yeah he they got nothing but subs uh, basically across their front seven so yeah we had some level of success so you know when we had to play a team that wasn't just kind of real scrubby when we played Atlanta 2.86 yards per carry for Carlos Hyde when we played Indianapolis 2.92 yards per carry for for Hyde those numbers
1: suck. Yeah, and to total, total of this game, they combined for 19 carries for 69 yards, just 3.63 yards a carry. Uh, Watson, of course, had the longest run whenever he ran for 19 yards in this game. And so the you know I think part of it too, like Will Fuller got hurt you know, pretty quickly. Let me talk about that a little bit because he he suffered a hamstring injury. He's probably gonna be out for a few weeks or so, but. DeAndre Hopkins caught 9 of his 12 targets for 106 yards and a touchdown. Um, There's no limit to how many times you can throw DeAndre Hopkins the ball. Like I, I want Bill, to I understand this. Like you can just keep throwing him the ball over and over again. And throughout this game, the Colts play man coverage. It was Pierre Desir against DeAndre Hopkins, and his ear couldn't match physicality up with him. Like every time we try to press him, Hopkins matched at the exact time. Had some really great breaks on his stem. Uh, used his arms really well to get open against him. And you know, throughout the game, there's a post route, there's a slant route, anything going inside. Uh, Hopkins was wide open, able to make those passes. And I just I just think like this entire offense was limited because they didn't take advantage on first and ten like they did the week before, uh, by running so much on first down and just not you know giving Hopkins the ball enough too.
0: Yeah, and, and let's talk about one more thing, because I see there's a whole lot of what I'm seeing in the comments is a whole lot of wanting to blame Deshaun Watson for this game instead of Bill O'Brien. And the fact is is that Bill O'Brien went back to the same calling for the run on first and ten consistently and way too much. And that not working. And so what you need is you need your offensive coordinator to adjust to that. So even if the run isn't working and it wasn't, it clearly was not. And it was putting a second and long and behind schedule. Then you create pass plays that act as your run. And we didn't do that on Sunday either. Yeah. We gave up so many opportunities against a really terrible Indianapolis Colts defense, especially in the secondary. They're 28th in DVOA. These aren't the same game records they were in 2018. I bet you they're going to improve, and they bet you the number is going to go up after Sunday. But it, it was not the same team, a lot because of injuries. But man, so many missed opportunities out there, Big Matt
1: yeah and I do think the Colts defense is better than what you know DVOA and the numbers say just because you know Shear was out throughout the year. Darius Leonard were out, and that's two of their three best uh players, like Darius Leonard not being on this defense is like Luke Keekley not being on the field for Carolina. he's that sort of linebacker can do it. like the interception he had on that q d pass you know he carries the post. 35 yards on the field and then dives and makes the interception and you can just, you're open to be able to do so many different things with him on the field. Um, so I, I don't think the Colts have like a bottom five defense at all. I'm sure it'll probably pop prop up to mediocre if they can get healthy again. But yeah, like, I mean, just coverage while, and you know, Kenny Moore was out this game as well too. Malik Hooker's out uh, to play the deep middle part of the field, but like, that's exactly it. Like Kenny Moore's out. Uh, Pierre Desir can't cover DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you have Rocky Sin, who's like a great body, but he's a rookie. He's having trouble finding the ball and staying in front of guys in man coverage. Kenny Stills had great sideline catch against him. He had another really great post route catch against him. Um, Quincy Wilson's been kind of phased out of the secondary because he's been bad this year. They're playing, you know, guys that they never envisioned really playing during the season two. And like there's your matchup there. You throw the ball downfield. You don't really need to mess around with all these pass from the line of scrimmage. You throw a lot of intermediate routes, you take your shots deep on first and ten. You use that to set up easier rushing opportunities on second and two. And then uh, and then you use that to get lighter boxes to set up your run game also. And if you do that, you can probably score, you know, 35 points this game. And they didn't do it, and they kept constantly again going back to run the ball on first down, uh, you know, completely killing the offense. And it wasn't until the second half that you saw them actually take more shots deep, push the ball downfield. And what do you know? They start moving the ball well. And, uh, and so like, it it was just very frustrating just from like a game. They didn't lose this game because the culture, the, the Bear football team, they lost this game because they were out coached in this one.
0: Yeah. And let's, let's make one thing, one other thing clear. They didn't lose this game because Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins, the kind of quote unquote first touchdown, uh, didn't count. Yeah, there, that's the refs have been absolutely from from for the last five ten years have been taught. You make that call. He's in the grasp. Mm-hmm. This is not new. This is not all of a sudden some you know unknown territory. He had his legs wrapped, and when the defender bearing down on him, the entire point is to keep quarterbacks from getting blowed up on plays exactly like that. It was the absolute right call by the refs. And I tell you what, I, I tell you what, we are still losing if we Get that touchdown. I mean, things change. We know that. But we still lost by four points. We kicked the field goal. Yeah. So that, it, that game did not come down to that play. It did not come down to the refs screwing us over. That's BS. The refs played, the refs, I think, called a very fair game. They sucked for both sides at times. But that, that one call, Watson was in the grasp. He's down. The whistle blew. It's what they're taught. There's no gray area here.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my only problem with the call wasn't that they called him down. My problem was that they blow the play dead, and he still gets hit anyways. And so it's like, well, just then that should be the 15 yard penalty. Then, like, what's the point of protecting the player if you still are able to get the free shot on him after the play is blown dead? And that was my issue with the play, um, completely on that one. But yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like, they still had two other red zone trips that they got six points out of. Uh, one of those red red zone trips, they completely crushed by trying to run the ball in the red zone, it didn't work at all. And they had a, a third down completion. The other one they had three passing plays and like none of these passing plays were like interesting at all. They were just kinda like isolation routes and man coverage with DeAndre Hopkins being double covered and they had nowhere else to go with the ball at all. Um, and they didn't find any matchups at all there to exploit. And like it's harder, you know, you don't have that same Darren Fells against a five foot ten safety whenever you have Darius Leonard and Anthony Walker out there. And uh, that got kind of in the red zone, too. But in the second half, you know, they changed things up. You saw that, uh, that slant to DeAndre Hopkins where Watson gets out of the pocket to find him. They had the, the QD flip, which worked out really well. Like Justin Houston was so confused on that play. And their fortune wasn't a fumble. But, you know, you have to be more than, like, bland against a, a really well-coached and intelligent defense of the Colts' run, in the red zone especially.
0: And quit running the ball every first and ten, quit running the ball every time and, and Carlos Hyde is going to regress to be Carlos Hyde, Yes, he started out hot, yes, he looks a lot better than I thought he ever would. And just his numbers just keep ticking down, ticking down, ticking down with every week that's That should be your expectation for Hyde, yeah, it should not be that he's going to average four point six yards per carry he's going to wind up the season at about three point nine yards a carry,
1: yeah, and really, yeah, it just comes down to putting him in bare situations to run the ball. Uh, For both, I mean, like even for Duke Johnson, too. Also, for the year, I wanted to bring up the numbers for the season on first down. The Texans have run the ball 119 times on first down. They average 4.95 yards a carry. Uh, Carlos Hyde, 79 for 307, 3.89 yards a carry, which is 0.1 yards away from being a successful run on average on first down. And Duke Johnson, 25 yards or 25 carries for 178, 7.12 yards a carry. Uh, And again, I think a lot of that just comes down to, you know, running the ball and you know, in better situations against light boxes. And they tend to do a better job with that with Johnson, which I think is like how teams adjust. You know, they see Johnson come on the field instead of Hyde, and they go, okay, it's probably a passing play. We're going to nickel. When Whenever it's Hyde, though, they stay in base because they assume it's going to be a run because Hyde really isn't used in the passing game at all whatsoever.
0: That's it. There you go. Um, I, I, If you're Eberflus, right, you see Hyde in there, you're going to stack the box. I mean, it's just, duh.
1: Yeah, Hyatt on first and ten. Yeah, okay, <laughs> we're, we're 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 having eight guys in the box. There's no question at all about it. Uh, so Kenny steals this game, he caught four or five targets for 105 yards, 26.3 yards of catch. They have his. He had that one really great catch down the sideline against you which was beautiful. It was a beautiful throw. It was a great catch on his end. They also ran the sim- similar route combinations, like they ran that really deep cross where it's. Hopkins and Stills on opposite sidelines to create uh, Stills open on another post route too, and so without Fuller uh, in the offense, he's supposed to be out for a few weeks with a hamstring injury. Because of course, you know uh, Kenny Stills has a hamstring injury, Kiki Cutie has a hamstring injury, everybody has a hamstring injury in this offense. Uh, with him, with him out, do you think do you think that Houston's going to be okay as far as their passing offense goes with Stills, with Cutie, with you know the three different with their amalgamation of tight ends that they have?
0: I pulled my hamstring during this podcast. I mean, it's just, it's a real, (laughs) after working out in Texas this morning. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That was great when I was with my dad watching the game last weekend and and guys kept going down. He's like, you're, you're not in good shape anymore, but you want to go play out there. You should go down to Houston, try out. I thought it was great. My dad's typical sense of humor. He just wants to get me killed. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, Kenny Stills will be able to fill in pretty well for Will Fuller. You know, Fuller has not had a great year. He had a great game, but he has not had a great year. By any means, he's dropped a lot of passes, and uh, you know, he, he he's got the route. He's like he just I, Ted Ginn. I just can't get at Ted Ginn out of my head. He's like Ted Ted Ginn with a better route tree, but with worse hands. Yeah,
1: and shorter and less durable. Um, yeah I think I mean I think he's still like this offseason I don't want to talk about the offseason right now but I still think he's gonna get like a Sammy Watkins sort of contract just because of the potential and everything else you know um, and like how like how the idea of him is very exciting Um the other thing I want to talk about real fast is the offensive line you know in addition like Sharpie had a bad game he got beat by yeah. Autry a few times at uh, left guard also, you know they had the right tackle injuries with Robert Johnson getting hurt. He had a really rough game against Shear. Like Shear just beat him off the ball, punched him, created separation, found the football very well a bunch of times. And also, Larry Tunstall had you know two holding penalties. And you know I know that we can talk about Jadavian Clowney offside penalties, you know ruining the defense and being a good reason why you can't pay him. And yeah, you know, like here we have Tunstall do the same thing over and over again. And you don't see the same treatment all whatsoever because he got the two first, you know, the two first round picks and second round pick and. Uh, you know, he's vital and integral and everything else. So um, I don't really feel one way about it or the other. I just don't like how it goes. It's all piling on this player because he's no longer here compared to the one who's here now. I mean, yeah, and, and also, just I just thing. miss Clowney too.
0: Oh, totally. Uh, one thing I want to say about Fuller to follow up, he he's second in the league and drops with six.
1: Yeah. Who's first? I,
0: uh, Michael Gallup.
1: Yeah, I can see that. He's had a good year yeah. whenever he throws uh, deep down the field. The the last thing I want to talk about on offense here too, uh, one I think the pass protection was pretty well. Like Justin Houston didn't didn't do anything at all this game, and like I love the Colts having a bad pass rush after you know them thinking they're gonna have a good one entering this year. It's like well we signed Justin Houston for fourteen million, but like he's a bullpen guy. You don't want him being your premier rusher, and if he's your best pass rusher, you're gonna have a problem. Um, but also let's talk about the safety. So the Texans were down, they were down by five. They had the ball at their own two yard line. And they let so they so at the time Watson was sacked, there was three seventeen left on the clock. They they let the clock run down at two forty four. They call a timeout. Then Brian Anger takes the snap. He walks about you know five steps to the right, then runs out of bounds. Then takes three more seconds off the clock. Now the Texans are down by seven. They punt. So rather than the Colts having the ball, maybe their you know thirty five yard line. They have the ball at their twenty yard line. So did you look at the math at all for this? Like, was the 15 yards in field position, was it worth the two points that they gave away? And was it worth the 40 seconds or so they ran off the clock in this case? Or I guess they ran 30 seconds off the case.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to outsource this one to our boy, Rivers. Uh, Rivers McCown, who did the research into it. So, And this comes from EDJ Sports, the numbers do. So the decision to punt was the game-winning chance at 7.5%. The decision to go for it puts the game-winning chance at 14.5%. And the decision to take the safety it puts the game-winning chance at 4.3%. So math is not hard, guys. Math is not hard. It really isn't. When you, like, uh, it was, we would have been three I, times I think, better off trying math to go for hard. it. <laughs> I think
1: math is pretty hard. I think it's hard to do the math. But, yeah, like, whenever you come down the numbers like that, uh. It, I, I mean, like the, really the biggest problem I have with it is how long, how much time has come off the clock yes, to allow that to happen. Yes. Like if that's if you want to say 15 yards of field position and take the punt instead, I can kind of understand it. But you can't let 30 seconds peel off the clock because of it. And I mean, it didn't, I guess, necessarily hurting Houston because of the interception up in the game, but they still were up against the clock with a minute of five seconds left after the tensile penalty. They try to come back and score seven points. And so it may have ended up hurting them in the end or whatever. Uh, but like in this case, it's also like a process of results where when you keep making the same mistakes, it may not hurt you in this one, but it's going to hurt you in one, you know, seven weeks down the line, whenever the probabilities keep going, keep stacking against your favor.
0: Yeah, and it, it wasn't that. So let's look at it like it was a trade. So what the Texans did is we we gave the Colts two points. We gained, uh, we lost because you have to add. Remember, Brian Anger went to the back of the end zone and sat there. So that costed us about five seconds. So it's not 30 seconds, it's 35 seconds, which is a big deal. And we, we gained about 15 yards a field. So for, uh, oh, and we used the timeout. Yeah. So this was a big, this was like almost a clowny type, light, lopsided trade of stupid to take that safety, to use the timeout, to have Anger hang out in the end zone and smoke a cigarette, to gain <laughs> a little bit of field position. It was all the stupid all at once. I mean, it was the again. I, I always going to use this reference. Peak Bill O'Brien was lining up Alfred Blue behind Ryan Griffin. This is like second Peak Bill O'Brien type stuff. I'm
1: I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just very nervous right now, uh, but yeah, for the numbers for like the time on it, anger went from he's, that when Watson was sacked. There was 3:17 left. Anger took the punt, snap at 2:44, and then he ran. I think three to four seconds off the clock after that, so it comes out to I guess two thirty-one or two forty-one compared to two seventeen, which is thirty-six second difference that they lost. And again, it's just like whenever you keep playing games, whenever you keep making mistakes like that, you keep stacking the probabilities against you, and you're eventually gonna you know lose games because of it too. Um, is there anything else in offense that you want to add to this game?
0: Just adding, especially when you're playing for one-score games consistently.
1: Yeah, that's a great like point. Like the Texans too.
0: have a tendency to do. Those are fifty-fifty balls every. Every one score game we play is a fifty fifty ball.
1: Yeah, and some cases it is in the season. Sometimes you go seven. Sometimes you like the Miami Dolphins last year, and you go seven and one in one possession games and finish seven and nine on the year. And now you're the worst team in football. Uh, other times you go you know one and five in them and you miss the playoffs because of it, and you get like a top ten draft pick. And Houston's this case, their their expected win loss record is four and three, and they're currently four and three, and that just takes your expected win loss off the point differential that you have. And then in one, their one possession record right now is three and three, and even that record may be a little bit a little skewed because of the, the Chiefs game, but they were in field goal range whenever uh, that game ended, and that sort of thing too. But you know, overall, they're three and three in one score games at the moment. So like, yeah, there's this argument or this idea that Houston should be five and one or six and zero oh or uh, you know four and two or whatever. But or be seven, I guess they played seven games now. They should be seven and or six and one or five and two or whatever. But like Leonard Fournette can get tackled an inch farther up the field. Uh, maybe Trent Scott doesn't call for a holding penalty. Maybe they actually call holding penalties on Lonnie Johnson at Kansas City game, and those games go entirely different. And so, like, the only game that they 100% like blew the other team out was the Falcons game, was a was an awful Falcons team, as everybody's kind of realizing now, too. And uh, yeah, like this is a a team that's winning close games and they're they're able to survive right now because they've won 3 of them and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for the rest of the year too because as we're about to talk about the defense like there's the secondary issues are actually really starting to show up um after this Colts game.
0: Yep, so let's move on to it.
1: Yeah, so like after the Chiefs game, I wrote like the post game recap, and I said some long lines of, you know, all football analysis is futile and meaningless. And I said that because the Texans, with Lonnie Johnson Jr., with uh, Philip Gaines, with you know Keon in with this like you know secondary just in complete shambles, they were able to hold the Chiefs to, I guess twenty. They scored thirty one points that game. So then they held the Chiefs to twenty four points that game. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense at all. That. The Texans with the secondary are able to do that, and obviously it's because the offense held the ball so much in the second half and that sort of thing. But this week, the Texans secondary was a was a big problem. So Jacoby Brissett in this game, he completed 26 of his 39 passes for 326 yards. He averaged 8.4 yards in attempt. He threw four touchdowns and zero interceptions. Uh, his average intent air yards was 7.9. It was around the six the six range before the Texans game too. They repeatedly did things like leave Lonnie Johnson Jr. man coverage and Zach Pascal, and it didn't work. They didn't pass guys in zone coverage very well either. Um, Eric Ebron's a problem. Nobody could cover T.Y. Hilton. And so, like, are you expecting, like, were the last two weeks just a big aberration, and is this the norm that you're going to expect going forward?
0: <laughs> I'm surprised they've been this good, Yeah, be honest. Truth. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I can't
1: I mean, believe, like, they've had the past two weeks that they've had.
0: I, Lonnie Johnson's really awful. I mean, he's terrible at what he's supposed to be good at.
1: Uh well, with Lon, Lonnie's played better this year than I thought he was going to. Like he's a boomer bust player. Like I mean, he's, you know, he's 20 years old or whatever, 21 years old, and like you'll see him make like a great play where he you know, reads the route, breaks down from zone coverage, and grabs a guy by the ankle and yanks him down. And then he'll have another play where he misses his press completely, chases twenty yards on the field, and gives up an easy completion. And so it's all one or the other. And like he's learning, uh, throughout this entire season, he's gonna be learning all throughout next season as well too. And like I think he has the foundation to be a good player, but he's not like a, he's not a very good cover cornerback all right now. He can consistently play press man coverage.
0: No, I hate watching him play right now. I really, I, I can't stand watching him play the football because he's just so bad. And but and, and he's better than what I thought he was going to be. It's yeah. crazy, but he's still terrible. Um,
1: My biggest thing about him is he has that Tyron Matthew energy where like every four-yard tackle is the greatest play in the world. And then and then like Odell Beckham does the same thing too. Like he'd be third and 13 and Beckham makes a seven-yard catch and it's, it's an event. Like it's the most spectacular thing to ever happen. It's like you're punting right now. And, uh, and you see the same thing for Lonnie Johnson's will too.
0: Yeah, and just looking it up, he's he's. Uh, oh my god, I lost it. He's he's eighty first by PFF, so there you go.
1: Yeah, I don't want to hear it. Uh, I know
0: you don't. I'm, I rub it in. There's some salt with that.
1: Yeah how how many yards per route is he allowing?
0: Oh god, I got it on my small screen. I'm that's sorry,
1: what, that's what I want. Uh, but yeah. ph- Philip Gaines got hurt this game too. Benardger McKinney came over and a major Benardric McKinney was trying to kill somebody this entire game. He tried to kill Brissett and missed. He tried to kill Eric Ebron. Let's that penalty, which created the, the Colts four touchdown that game. He came all the way across the field to tackle Philip Gaines and knocked him out. This one, I uh, can was bad. I'll never for, like go back to games too. Like he played better last week than I ever imagined and he played better this week than I ever imagined he would. He still was not good, but that TY Hilton route where he's like nine yards off man coverage and does a complete like five forty and uh Hilton just sits down was you know especially, you know, terrible.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, he's one seventy three out of one seventy nine. I looked at the wrong thing. Oh Lonnie, Johnson, Lonnie Johnson, is. Johnson is yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Jeez. I'm sorry. I was looking that up. Yeah, it's all what good. Were you saying? I was just talking yeah. about
1: Philip Gaines. And then Jonathan Joseph got, oh, hurt, got hurt this game as well, too. He's expected to play next week. But again, you know, Joseph's older. He has problems against uh, against downfield passing. And the biggest problem the Texans have is they're kind of stuck as far as coverage goes. They are trying to play single high press man coverage. Tayshawn Gibson got hurt the, with a back injury, too. So you kind of lose that guy who can cover tight ends. And so they're trying to play single high press man coverage with Reed back there. They don't have the corners to do that. But then also if they go back to zone coverage... They don't have the linebackers who are very good in coverage. McKinney's improved dramatically since he came to the league, but he's not very good at it. Uh, Cunningham, despite his speed, is a very good cover player. Dylan Cole and Brent Scarlett have like, the occasional 97 PFF grade coverages, but they aren't very good at all either. And then also, when you're having so many changes in the secondary too, there's no feel for passing players around. Like, I mean, The Colts created like five or six easy catches where they're just running drag routes, and if you run long enough, somebody's going to get open. And so those are like the two big problems there that they're having the secondary, um, and we can use this time to talk about you know Gary and Conley, the Texans trade a third round pick to complete the Jadavion Clowney trade. So the Texans got big play Barcavius Mingo, they got Jacob Martin, and they got Gary and Conley for uh, Jadavion Clowney. What do you think about the cra- About the trade? Do you think he can actually help the secondary?
0: So I, I'm going to transition. I'm going to take a moment to transition to that discussion because. I just want to, because this jumped out at me as I'm looking at the numbers. Lonnie Johnson, 173rd out of 179 by PFF. Okay. Philip Gaines, 174 out of 179. <laughs> Ken Crossan, 175. Yeah, out there we go. I hope
1: McConnell's 176.
0: Yeah, he's not that bad. Uh, I think he was in the, he was in the, oh, God, I'm looking on the wrong screen. Sorry.
1: I wanted the Royal I, Flesh. I,
0: yeah, so Gary and Conley is 124 okay. out of 170. Yeah. So here's the story we're seeing about Conley, and you saw it too, is that, you know, Oakland's been playing a lot of uh, zone coverage skills, and that's not Gary and Conley's strength. Yet, you know, Gary Conley does not have, he's got the occasional great tape. I mean, I would say in a lot of ways, he's very Lonnie Johnson like, right? That he's kind of boomer bust in a lot of ways. Um, He's not really somebody I would want on my football team at this point in time. Maybe he does a better job in man coverage that we've been playing a lot this year. We've been playing a lot of man and kind of man pass off in a zone type coverage or playing man on one side and zone on the other. So we've been kind of changing our our, our uh, coverage a little bit, but we still also have a tendency to really play our cornerbacks off, especially wide. So how Colin is going to fit in, I don't I don't really know. Something tells me with what he sh- how he showed up against the Packers on Sunday and the reason he got traded. He's going to fit in quite nicely with the Lonnie Johnsons of the team. Um, but there's also some reason to have some upside. He was a first-round pick in 2017. He does have good college tape. Uh,
1: they have him for a year and a half. It's not a, a half-season rental to him.
0: We gave a, up a third-round pick for him, which is probably too much. Are we even? We're just might as well just trade the rest of our draft picks for next year because we just just don't even need that ish. Yeah. So we're kind of getting what we traded for. We're getting a guy who has underperformed, and I I see a lot of optimism in the comments. I don't get the optimism because he doesn't have the tape that that backs it up. He doesn't have the PFF scores to back it up. Look, there's a reason LA gave up on him after a couple of years.
1: Yeah. Well, and also the Conley trade, too. It's, I mean, a lot of stuff that I've seen is like nobody's ever watched this guy play at all before. But it's just like as soon as the trade happens, everybody has an opinion on it. Um, I know I was really surprised looking at the numbers last year for Oakland was uh, how well they actually covered on the outside, but they only had 11 sacks as a team. Or they had 12 sacks as a team last year, including Mac at 11, and their pass rush was horrendous. This year, their pass rush has been better, and Conley's been you know much worse this year than he was last year. And like watching him too, like. The the only thing that I like about Conley is that he plays the ball well and uh, and like that's one of the things that Houston's had success at the past two weeks is that even if they get beat, they're still chasing, they're playing the football whenever it's in the air. And so that's the best thing I, I see about Conley as I've watched him play for, you know, the Raiders this season. Um but, I mean, I don't know. Like it's just weird, it's like I don't know whenever like from our perspective, you don't know what other cornerbacks are available at this time, why they chose to go with Conley and we'll we'll have a better idea once some other pick starts getting moved as well too. Um And it's also weird just because Marcus Peters went for a fourth round pick, and so where were they on that Marcus Peters trade too? Did they just not have any interest all in it because of his you know chemistry or whatever? But that's a guy who like hates tackling uh gets beat sometimes because he completely gives up on plays, but still is like a big playmaker and um, and like has more upside than you know calmly does as well
0: that that's what I mean. that's the overpay. I mean if look Peters to the Ravens for that. Peters is is he's boomer bust, but he's he's going to be a lot better on the on he's not he's going to give up the big plays, but he's going to be more consistent as far as you know keeping down the the bust type plays. But Conley is yeah, and a third round pick is yeah. Bill O'Brien not understanding the talent that's out there and not understanding what to pay for it. You know, Bill O'Brien or how's they're saying William O'Brien, the GM is not good.
1: Well, I mean, part of it too is like this is why you don't have your head coach be your general manager, is because your head coach is invested in winning football games right now at this time. And they don't, they're like a teenager, they don't understand what the future is. They have a hard time taking into account the future value of decisions because they're in a season right now where they're four and three. Their secondaries in shab- shambles, and they need to find you know improvements now at this point in time. And so draft picks don't mean anything at all for them because of where where they're at and their life cycle, and where they're at in the season going on right now. So yeah, like I mean, I don't, I, mean, I, I, yeah, I say trade trade the rest of draft picks. Who cares? It doesn't matter anymore. You know, they're locked into having a team that's like slightly above five hundred at the moment.
0: Yeah, and here's the problem: is in two years we're gonna have Deshaun Watson's gonna want all the monies. I mean, Tunsil's going to want all the monies. We're going to have other guys. Will Fuller is gone. Just consider Will Fuller be gone. We're not going to be able to afford to sign home. Somebody's going to drop $15 million a year in his lap. This is a team that's going to need a huge infusion of talent, and we've got no draft picks in 20, or 2020. We're already trading 2021 picks. He's mortgaging the future for a glass cannon of a team in
1: 2019. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess like the... Yeah, I don't know. It's all it's all very uh, silly, but like I guess really, this entire team comes down to is Deshaun Watts. Like Deshaun Watson has to be an MVP level quarterback for this team to be any good at all. They're locked into him, you know, winning games that they lost yesterday. Like those are the games that they have to win. They have to score thirty five points because you can't build a complete roster without draft picks, and you especially can't build a complete roster. Whenever you have forty million dollars in cap space sitting on the table, and even more so whenever you're you're about to play your quarterback thirty-five million dollars this year, a year as well, and you don't have the cost-effective talent to surround him with either, uh, without your first, your know, round picks, your second round picks as well too, and so, um, so yeah, I mean like they're just this team is kind of locked into they need to have Watson just be, you know, an MVP quarterback every single week, and as long as he's that, they'll win games because they have enough talent everywhere else, and you know if you have the quarterback is the most position most important position in the game. But like whenever you have weeks where you score 23 points, you're going to lose because you don't have the rest of the spots there filled out.
0: You no. Know, and it's hard to be an, a, an MVP caliber quarterback when your offensive coach, offensive coordinator, I'm sorry, doesn't have a clue what he's doing sometimes.
1: All right, you know, you, whenever you run the ball 12 times on first down and get two and a half yards to carry. Uh, the other thing that's really important to bring up on defense is that the Colts, well, the, I said two other things. One, the Colts couldn't run the ball against Houston uh, the run defense was really great this game. I really enjoyed DJ Reader, just like Stonewall and Quentin Nelson at the line of scrimmage. Like there was no push off from Nelson this game when matched up against Reader. Uh, Watt was actually making some run tackles. Like he was finally doing that backside swim move against Brian Smith to make some plays in the backfield. McKinney and Cunningham just had like awesome games as well too. And like I know this front seven, the biggest thing they lost without Cream Jackson, Jadavian Clowney, is the tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage. During this game, they were tied 30th in the league for you know run tackles out behind the line of scrimmage, and in uh, this week, it seemed like they had more of them. It seemed like they were able to get in the backfield a bit more, uh, and it was better. But again, it's not an all-time great pass defense. And when Jacoby Brissett's throwing four touchdowns, the run defense really isn't that poor, anyways. But the one thing the run defense did allow him to do was it did give him the ball back multiple times in the fourth quarter, which allowed him to come back from 28-16, turn it into 28-23. Which they turned at 30 thirty twenty three, and they got multiple chances. Uh, you know, at, down by one possession to try win it or at least tie it, and and that's partly because of the run defense was good this game.
0: Well, I think you put it best. Is that Frank Reich, Bill O'Brien, this game? He went so conservative, especially at the end of the game. He's just giving the ball, handing the ball off. Like you've got options. You can you have safe options when you're an offensive coordinator, and Frank Reich just refused to go with them late in the game and you know the the texans do not have the historical historically great rush defense that we had last year but it's still pretty darn good
1: yeah it's like it's a fringe top 10 one this year it just doesn't have the negative plays
0: but it but still i mean if if that's that's not the the hill you want to die on if you're an offensive coordinator you don't want to die on the hill that you're going to be successful running the ball against the texans
1: yeah, I the one thing that Rock ran into is that first drive to start the fourth quarter. They threw three incomplete passes and uh and they punted the ball with like, you know, twelve minutes left or so. And like from that point on, they were kind of disinterested in throwing the ball. Uh they also ran that like they had that series where it was first down run, second down screen to Jack Doyle that lost four yards, and then they and then they ran the ball to punt. And then they also the best uh series it was like the most like Houston Texans series ever. It was run, run, screen pass, punt to give the Texans the ball back with, you know, a minute 25 seconds or so, which is, it was very Texans.
0: Very, yeah. God, we have been subjected to so much stupid football again this year. Matt.
1: Like And, like, Reich's, like, he's great to a point, but, like, he's he's missing something there. And I think, like, all the all the huff and puff he gets on the internet, I think has been uh, has been overblown because he's been very fortunate that he hasn't, like the fourth down call last year is a good example, but I think throughout his time there too, there's just been, he's just like in, aggressive in weird times and not aggressive in obvious times, you know, which is something that you can kind of say about Bill O'Brien too. Yep. Because uh,
0: one thing, hey, Bill O'Brien is going for fourth downs. I never thought I'd see that in my life.
1: Yeah. And he's done a better job of the play calling a fourth down too. And I know Reich was 7-for-7 seven seven on four downs entering this game, and they ran that quick toss out there where Scarlett runs through a block, Cunningham runs through a block, Lonnie Johnson comes down unblocked, misses the tackle completely, and uh, McKinney runs from, the, at, from like, the backside linebacker position to make that play. And uh, before It took four guys to get Mack down, but that was a good play too in this game. Run defense was good. Run defense was good. Like, Cunningham had some really good tackles in this one. Uh, same with McKinney.
0: Yeah, but again, the the context is, run defense is, is if you're looking at, it's, it's the least important aspect of a successful team in the NFL. I mean, it's it's pass offense, it's pass defense, it's rush offense, and it's rush defense. Yeah. And the gap between the rush offense and rush defense is pretty tremendous.
1: And I think a good example of that, too, is that Raiders game. The Raiders have a good run offense, the Packers have a bad run defense, and they lose by, you know, three plus touchdowns. Um and I also, I just like the best way you put it, just like they're averaging ten point one yards a, pa- a pass attempt. They're averaging two point seven yards a run. the But the biggest issue on top of all this though, with the secondary plays, the fact that they have a front seven right now where their pass rush is just JJ. Watt, and that's it. Um going back to the Carolina game, Watt has two sacks, thirteen quarterback hits. Merciless has a sack and a half, three quarterback hits. One of those half sacks was a sack that took five and five point three seconds. Where the Colts are in play action, Brissett staying in the pocket. The Texans blitz eight. Uh Jaheila die comes around the entire front seven. Forces Brissett in the pocket. Uh, Scarlett Scarlet and McKinney uh, Scarlet Merciless both sack him. And like that's not a sack by any pass rushing, you know, Billy Italy and they're into it. Uh, Merciless has one one and a half sacks, three quarterback hits. DJ Reader has only one sack, one quarterback hit, and that's been, I think, the biggest problem with this pass rush is that the same interior push hasn't been there from him. And then Charles Mune, who has one sack, one quarterback hit, and that one sack, of course, was that, like, five and a half second sack he had against Patrick Mahomes uh, to force that fumble in that game, too. And so, like, right now, like, this is a pass rush that's, it's only J.J. Watt. Like, that's it. And watching this game live, I didn't think Cornell blitzed that much, but going back and watching again, he blitzed throughout the game, and still they struggled to create a pass rush. Uh, but Arjun McKinney was like their second best push, pass rusher in this one too.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw some comments that they were, you know, we weren't blitzing, and I was befuddled by that. We just weren't getting any Yeah, I mean, and the Colts' offensive line is is pretty good. Quentin Nelson was playing hurt. I think he was questionable all up, all the way up until game time, even. So um, when I saw him out on the field, because I did just didn't get a chance to. to Uh, see the pregame because of other uh, priorities. But when I saw him out on the field on that first snap, I was like, oh, well, this might be a long game. Um, We did try to get to the quarterback, but man, Matt, do you know who would be really nice to have on this roster right now?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, of course it's Jadavion Clowney. And one of the things I think has been hysterical is that like after that first Merciless game, it's like, oh, the, the Texans won the Clowney trade. It was a great trade. Jacob Martin had that pressure on like the last play of the game. And then uh, and then Clowney had the force fumble strip sack. And one of the things like, I, I'm going to keep mentioning, I've mentioned a lot in that reader piece and talked on the show, is watch his, watch his sacks. Watch anytime he has any pressure. It's all on the outside shoulder. It's all hand fighting. It's all ripping. It's all really wide looping angles. And none of these rushes have any impact at all. Unless he has any sort of interior push whatsoever, his spin move was bad this game. Anthony to locked that down completely. Um, he didn't provide really anything at all. He picked up that fumble after J.J. Watt knocked out Brissett's hand, which was hilarious as well too. And uh, and like he just isn't he isn't providing much there on the edge. The only thing he does well right now as an edge rusher is whenever he like he he gives like a, a slow rush and then explodes. Or like t- changes his timing at all for it, but he's been pretty much non-existent the last four games too in this uh, of this season.
0: Hey, do you want to take a guess at Clowney's PFF rank?
1: Uh, I would say like thirteenth, eighth. Yeah, he's been like so football good, and I get kind of sad watching him because I'm like, it's amazing the stuff he has to deal with. Like it's it's just wild seeing how he gets collapsed on the interior and some of the blocks he faces
0: he's he's double teamed every play i mean they're focused teams are focused i watched the the seattle game over the weekend and the teams are making sure that he is not beating them it has been amazing it's it's because with no watt to take that pressure off of him you know seattle has some yeah. decent up front guys uh jefferson is, is pretty good but Nobody's like clowning. So they are shut. They're doing everything they can to shut him down.
1: Yeah. He's the most uh, ESPN like sack win rate or pass rush win rate. He's first as a, a, uh, out of all edge defenders entering last week. I don't know what they are now. And he's the most double team player in football right now too, among the defensive line. But yeah, I mean like, yeah, the, the Seahawks interior, like Puna Ford, fine. Uh, Quinn Jefferson's, has been really good at times, but it's usually because of stunts. They just got Jerome Reed back and he'll need some time to come back. Ezekiel Ansel has been kind of like a, a no-show so far this year too. And then the guy they drafted in the first round from TCU hasn't really done anything at all either. Oh, LJ Collier.
0: Yeah. No, it's been all clowny. And then, you know, Jefferson gets the scraps and that sort of thing. But Jefferson's had moments, even on the non He's He's had moments on his own.
1: Yeah. But I think this was like, it, over the course of 16 games and over the course of the entire season, like now the cracks in the pass rush in this defense are starting to show. I I still like, I was amazed by how well they were playing. Like, I still, am, I still am surprised they're four and three right now. Like, I'm I'm surprised by how well they played. I'm surprised by how well they've, how much they've gone away with what they had on defense. But now, here that we're entering week eight. Um, after this Colts game, like we're kind of, we finally saw a game that really kind of cracked and showed the issues that we expect, we expected, you know, whenever I was laying down my carpet in August, try and imagine this team was going to be doing in October.
0: Laying down your carpet, is that a euphemism?
1: Uh, no, it's just like, I'll take a nap and close my eyes and think about what I see and try to think about things, you know?
0: Okay. I thought that was maybe a diehard Chris kind of thing and his curtains.
1: No, 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 <laughs> no just lay on the carpet, taking a nap, thinking, um, but yeah, I mean like the pass rush was bad this game, and like Watt had like, like Watt's doing the things that, Watt had a game that was like straight out of 2015 this week, like I mean he was spectacular in this game, he had so many quarterback hits, he never had a sack, but again I think my favorite play he had was whenever Brissett dropped that fumble, dropped the snap, and Watt dive bombs to the line, leaps and knocks the ball away from him, and then merciless picks it up after that. Like recovering fumbles is luck unless you're JJ Watt. <laughs> like, yes, I, I no, love no. that so he much. He had a great
0: game. I'm sorry, I, I yeah, I was, I was still infatuated with the PFF numbers for a moment there. Um, yes, that's it. Yeah, that's good. That's all I got to add to that.
1: Um, and the last thing I want to bring up for the defense is that the Colts went four for four in the red zone. One that plays was a, I hate that little shovel pass so much, but you have Quentin Nelson pulling up on Zach Cunningham. Everybody blocked down well. The other touchdown was the airkeeper on one-handed catch. The They had that rollout touchdown because you ended up, that Benarcher McKinney caused by having that pa- oh, having God. that roughing, the, having the, the like, illegal hit play where he hits Ebron on a blindside block after Philip Gaines actually makes a play finally. And the other touchdown was that quick screen pass to Hilton where you have Eric Ebron blocking for him. You have Anthony Costanza blocking for him. And these are also plays that were good calls because they happened on first down. They happened on second down. These weren't like, you know, third and two or pulling out our last stops or plays. Unlike uh, you know, Houston's like very like stale red zone offense until the second half when they did some more interesting things.
0: That, like I, I, that penalty by, by McKinney was so stupid. I mean, just, I, he's, I like McKinney a lot. That was a really stupid freaking penalty.
1: Yeah, I love McKinney, but he had a, he was, like, I I think also part of it too, whenever you're not creating a pass rush at all, and they're creating first downs like they are, and nobody's covered, covering anything, you get really hyper-aggressive, and you want to make a play, and you start pushing, you start making dumb decisions. And McKinney made, like, five, like, physical plays that were kind of, like, outside the confines of, you know, in this where football is like an ethical, moral, uh, moral endeavor now that we're, you know, outside of that.
0: He, oh, and he's had a good season. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was so frustrated. Yeah. And so that frustrated. lets the well, really Colts
1: four touchdown.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not going to say anything to do that. I mean, he's like six, five
1: Yeah. And he has that scary face paint, too. <laughs> McKinney's yeah, awesome.
0: I had a thought today about guys who at least like to tackle because I I think that about Daniel Fells every time I see him with the football. Yeah. But you know who I think would be the worst? Cordarrelle Patterson. He's six four. He's fast as hell. With that gear, he's got to be like two hundred sixty pounds.
1: Yeah. And, and but like he can't that. he can't move directions too. So like you at least get a uh, tackle. Him. I would hate to have Marlon Mack just like break all the teeth in my mouth with a stiff arm though. <laughs>
0: Or how about Darius Leonard's stiff arm? Yeah, place. and then even oh, even Pascal
1: stiff arm Lonnie Johnson. Whenever I write quick things tonight, <laughs> I'm gonna do like one whole thing just on stiff arms. Like here's Marlon Max, here's Pascal's, here's Leonard's on them. But yeah, they can all stiff arm there. Um. So lastly, we have some some quick leader slash reader questions. The first one here was from Stroh's fan. I know he asked, "Can you play corner?" So like your your father asked you, BFD uh what do you think can you play some quarterback this weekend
0: sure could i could i could do it pretty shitty too <laughs> oh my god a cuss that's my first cuss word in like five or six years on the podcast i'd be terrible
1: i think i could but probably uh, i could probably do some like cover three zone turn play the ball force a guy to the sideline but like i mean I'm i'm the slow i'm so slow it wouldn't work out very well
0: i'm 50 and got no knees
1: I bet you I bet you'd probably get like a seventh round pick though. Somebody try a seventh round pick for you.
0: <laughs> Just for my looks.
1: Yeah, and the and the Moxie as well too. Uh I do right. th- I do think the Kansas City Chiefs could turn me into at least a practice squad offensive lineman if they gave me like if I went like a year oh, through their like training camp and, and off season program and everything else, you know. They could turn anybody into a competent offensive lineman.
0: You'd have to put on sixty pounds though.
1: Oh at least. I'd probably, I'd probably put, I can put away pretty fast, though. Not, I'm, not, I'm not very good at getting strong, though. Uh, another question I hear is from at Texans underscore thoughts. What is the NFL draft? And if you don't know, the Texans are without their first-round pick, their second-round pick, their third-round pick, maybe, or maybe their fourth-round pick, depending on how the Duke Johnson trade uh, carries out next year. And they also will get some compensatory picks, probably from Will Fuller, uh, from Clowney, and from some other players, too.
0: Well, I think the third round pick we gave up today for Conley was the Seahawks. Yeah, third that was the pick, Seahawks' right? round pick, and then we either
1: yeah. they either gave up the third round pick or the fourth round pick for Johnson, just depending on uh, on how that pull-in plays out.
0: Yeah, and he only has to suit up three more times I think for it to be a third. Okay. So, yeah, I, I mean we're going we're going to we're not going to have any picks. We're not going to make any difference on for the team after the 2020 draft through the draft we're going to have to go out if we want to improve the cornerback situation we're going to have to overpay a free agent and then we're still stuck with the sean watson and laramie tunsell contracts after that that's why that's why giving up a lot for Tunsil not necessarily a great idea but then we just keep giving up picks and picks and picks and picks because bill o'brien is infatuated with winning this year this is not a team that's going to be successful in the long run this year
1: yeah, unless Watson is a top three quarterback and they win every game like thirty one to thirty, you know. Uh, no. <sighs> so the next question we have is from Uproot Texan ninety nine. Oh God! He said Bill O'Brien was a fish. Why would he be? An, why would he be orange and roughy? And would you pan fry him or roast him in the oven with some root vegetables? <laughs> so if he was a oh, fish, God. like my mother, my mother is a fish. Why would he be? orange and roughy and would you pan fry them or roast them in the oven with some root vegetables
0: so here's who o'brien would be as a fish he'd be the three-eyed fish from that simpsons episode the
1: nuclear waste fish
0: yeah that's who he'd be
1: yeah i think of him as like some like big gray catfish that like lives in the bottom of a lake he like never sees the sun he's just big and gray and his skin's just kind of like falling off of him
0: or is there a fish that yells? Is there a yelling fish? That's what I would need.
1: There are fish with glasses. <laughs> I don't know. I, was, uh, I, was, I watched a YouTube video about why Milger Salad 2 is a postmodern masterpiece. And I haven't played that game since I was 12. I was like, I don't really understand this at all. And so now all I want to do is not write about football, but play every Milger Salad. So that's why I did that thing, everybody in the Texans pond. Um, next question is from at Coach Dent. He said, what will it take for Romeo to cut loose Me be more exotic with his blitzes and stop playing such hideously loose zones?
0: Well, we can't. We have to play hideously, hideously loose zones because we've got no choice, because we've got no talent. And so we've been playing a lot more man this year, which has really shocked me. It's absolutely shocked me. But there's not a... What do you do with that group? I mean, you look at that personnel and you say, hey, these are all guys who are going to be able to... To, to cover guys, you know, one on one. That's all we have to give loose zones. This is where, and and not only that, Cornell's defense is basically predicated upon Ben don't break. So we put all these things together. I don't know what else he's supposed to do. You start trying to match these guys up, they're going to get scorched. I mean, what do we do with Ty Helton? Look what Zach Paschal did to us this week. I like so, Zach Paschal. I like Zach Paschal.
1: I like. It was fun um, watching what he did to Sharice Wright last year too. Like after like all year, like the secondary is not that bad. It's not that bad. And you're like, okay, get ready for it. It's gonna happen. And it was just Zach Pascal just double moving Sharice right to death.
0: Sluggoing. Just sluggoing everybody. Or he got slugged by everybody. I don't know what else he's supposed to do. You cannot play guys up because they can't cover. You have to let the only decent guy in coverage is Justin Reed. Gotta remember we lost Andre Hal to retirement. Justin Reed's the only guy who can play a decent center field and Gibson with hurt hurt now doesn't help the situation I don't know what they're
1: supposed to do yeah and especially with zone coverages too and I, that's kind of like how I felt too like watching this game and going back and watching it again it's like I don't know what Houston really does Like they're kind of screwed they don't have the horses to play man coverage and they they're injured and, and so they're passing guys are you know in and around their secondary so they have no fill feel, feel at all for you know passing guys in zone coverage too um, Cornell like, like we mentioned earlier, he blitzed on the first half. It just didn't work, and that's why I was like, what are they doing? But he still does that stuff too many times where it's third and six, and they pass rush three, and then you have Jacob Martin in coverage. Just stop. Like, stop doing that. You have to rush five. You don't have the secondary. You can never rush three. And stop dropping Brandon down to coverage. It doesn't work. No team who ever does that ever lets it It never works. Vince Wilford had that one interception because he played a screen. It never works.
0: It's infuriating sometimes. It really is. And hey, Sam Darnold got picked off for the third time tonight.
1: That's cool. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I do think Cornell had a... I think Cornell's done a great job considering what he has at his disposal. I think he's done a very good job like creating some stunts. Like, also, I really love what he did with Clowning in this game. I mean, I, what he did with J.J. Watt in this game. The one matchup that they had available to him was Watt versus Gloninski, And he left Watt in the interior as a three-technique got him against Gloniski and worked him for the entire first half. In the second half, he put him against Brian Smith. He ran some more loops and So once they started sliding their protections that way. And he really put Watt in the best possible position to succeed. And this is something that we've been clamoring for for you know, a year and a half now, where it's like, hey, this left guard is the worst player on their offensive line. Put Watt on him. Don't worry about this whole he only rushed against right tackle thing when that's the best matchup you have available for him.
0: Look, Houston's defense, right, is 15th by DVOA. I don't know what else you expected. I mean, that's far better than I thought they were going to be.
1: Yeah, especially. I mean, their pass defense has been mediocre, which is better than expected as well. Too, uh, the run defense is worse than I thought it was going to be, but the pass defense has been better than I thought. And, I mean, the team. Like I said, this team in general is better than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be kind of a disastrous year. I had them at, you know eight and eight. I had them at six and ten before the tensile trade, moved it to eight and eight. And uh, whenever we did our, our predictions post, and it's looking like maybe maybe uh ten six because their schedule's going break a little bit better with games as the tight ends the Broncos the Raiders they are coming up too yep, but
0: it's, we are the luckiest team in the league. I just want to focus on that again we are We've already played two backup quarterbacks i mean they're they're the luckiest team in the league. <laughs>
1: It's weird because I was thinking about Gary Kubiak, too, just the parallels where it's like you have this head coach that you keep sticking with and you keep sticking with and you keep losing dumb games. You keep never fully meeting your expectations at all. And you have the same thing with O'Brien, but O'Brien just had slightly better results. But I think the biggest difference between Kubiak and O'Brien was with Kubiak. They lost the close games behind, like, Things that they had no opportunity or anything to do against, like kickers making fifty-six-yard game-winning field goals, Chris Brown right. missing field goals, Chris Brown fumbling into the end zone, and also like having an all-time you know awful pass defense too, where like he doesn't control that part of the ball. That's not on him either, and they stuck with him, and like it got him you know two years of like really fun you know enjoyable football, and a lot of years that were like really like downers because they didn't really match their talent level and now the bryant's like kind of the inverse where they're he's getting slightly better production but he has all the luck compared with kubiak where he was very unlucky you know
0: yeah and he just, had to go against
1: pay manning and like a 12 and 4 titans team that year and you know that sort of thing too
0: and and you know we've got romeo cornell instead of frank smith yeah that's that's worth at least six wins right there
1: yeah so if, <laughs> this is fun. This is very cathartic. I uh, I feel better. I don't know if the viewer feels any better at all, but I feel better. I had so many things I need to get out of me. I'm glad I was hungover yesterday watching this game too, so I didn't feel too much. Like I felt the perfect amount as I was let down by, you know, another, another Texans, uh, another another big Texans game. You know.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say I'm never going to be suckered in by Bill O'Brien again.
1: Yeah, never. I don't think I am either. I think I've finally learned a lesson. Like well, they can be in the so. Super Bowl and be like. I still don't believe it.
0: Nope. Nope. Because he, he's going to go back to, hey, Carlos Hyde got to establish the run. Booger McFarlane said I have to establish the run. He's the worst, by the way. Booger McFarlane is really the worst. Yeah. The only there, good thing,
1: the only thing he does well is he compla- He like actually calls out the officials. I like the guys last Sunday were just shills for him. They were like every co- – the ref did a good job on this one. It's like, no, it's a bad call. This is a bad call too. But uh, anyways, next week – we'll be back on later this week due to week 8 preview. We may do a specific uh, Raiders preview as well, too, just depending on the time. I'm going a, I'm to a riot J.J. Watt film room. I don't have enough time to do uh, 10 things this week, so I'll riot film room on Watt this week, and then uh, we'll do six things preview on Saturday, and the Texans are playing the Raiders this Sunday, and it's going to be a really good offensive line. Derek Carr, lots of time to throw, a really good run offense against a bad secondary and pass rush. So let's see how the Texans try to play. Are they going to try to outrun the Raiders, or are they going to take advantage of their downfield matchups and uh, you know, make Derek Carr out throw him.
0: Hey, and now we got Gary and Conley, so we know the secret. From we know all the secrets now.
1: Yeah. So, uh Until so later this week. name is Matt Weston. Thank you for the smell, Red Radio. And thank you for being on Sign BFT.